First Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon. And this is Paul speaking, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. On last week, when we began, I gave you an axe initially starting the three missionary journeys of Paul, and some say there are actually four. But the missionary journeys began, the first one begins in Acts chapter 13, verse 3. The second missionary journey begins in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and it ends at chapter 18, verse 22. The third missionary journey begins at Acts 18:23 and ends at chapter 21 of Acts verse 17. And then the fourth is said to begin around Acts 21:17. Let me say that as we pick up from where we were last week in going through, you need to note that in Paul's missionary journeys, Paul was one, as we said, persecuted the church, ripped families apart, basically had children to be orphaned, not caring what happened to individuals that were Christian as long as they didn't interfere with what he thought was the truth and what he was zealous for, even though it was wrong. He was arrested in the spirit on his way to Damascus, To actually bring other believers to the Lord. And that's where the Lord says, the Bible says, that a great light, it was the Lord Jesus, shone from heaven at noon. And knocked him from his beast. And there Paul finds himself on the ground. The Lord tells him to get up and and to go on to the city and to wait for further instructions. It was Acts chapter 13 where the Lord himself commissions Paul and Barnabas and it's the church that sent them out. But God was the one that commissioned them. I I also just want you to note is the ministry that Paul and Barnabas went on. It is a mission that was ordained by God. It was commissioned by the Lord and people may want to have certain positions and may want to be involved in doing certain things, but it is the Lord who calls individuals to certain to to ministries. And it's not one to where one can just say, I, I want to do that, but it's one to where one has to be called. Today as we look at the journeys, one of the things that is important to note is that when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, they took the relative of Barnabas, John Mark. But John Mark, many believe, got homesick and left them on the journey in Pamphylia, and he returned, the Bible says, to Jerusalem. He went home. And so it caused a great problem with Paul and Barnabas when it came to their second missionary journey, and we'll address that In just a moment. It was in Antioch, Syria. Now there's an Antioch in Pisidia. And that's a place where Paul went. But their home base and leaving on their journey. And coming back to report 
to what God had done, they came back to Antioch in Syria, where they were commissioned or where they were launched or sent from. And so at the end of the first missionary journey, this is where Paul and Barnabas themselves, they come to. Want to just pause and just welcome Faith to the line. Faith, they can't hear you, but right now I just want to welcome you to the line. Now, when they get to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas give a tremendous report on the missionary journeys and what God had done, the churches that were established, some of the leaders that were put in place. But I want you to note, Ephesus was not one of the places where they had gone to. It's in Asia, but the Lord had not permitted them to go there until later. Now, when they get to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas give the report of what happened. And while they are there, there are a group of men that come from Jerusalem, the home church, even though they were not commissioned. And they began teaching in Antioch, Syria, that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised and you must follow the law of Moses. Now, the problem was that this was not the message that Paul and Barnabas focused on while they had been on the journey. And in fact, their message was that only through Jesus Christ is one saved. The message that was being preached by those individuals that had come from Jerusalem caused such a sharp division with Paul and Barnabas and those individuals that they said, we've got to have this matter settled. And so while they are discussing and arguing and having this problem, there are a group from Antioch who were assigned to go with Paul and Barnabas and the others up to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles, the elders, and the leaders of the church about the requirement of salvation. Does it involve or really involve a person needing to follow the laws of Moses as a requirement of salvation? And does one need to be circumcised? Now, this was a requirement that the Lord had given in the Old Testament. But as Christ had come on the scene, the message had been had become that one is saved only through the blood of Jesus Christ. This was the culmination of the Old Testament message, everything that the Old Testament spoke about. And this now is in sharp contrast in regards to the message of Paul and Barnabas regarding salvation. Oftentimes when you have a launching point, a starting point in regards to ministry, there may be things that God does. The issue here was that Christ is and was the fulfillment of the law. But some of the leaders that had come from Jerusalem to Antioch were saying, no, Christ is not the fulfillment of the law. To make it complete, he's only a component, but you have to have circumcision. You have to have the laws of Moses being obeyed. So when they go to Jerusalem, which you will pick up in Acts 15, this is called the Jerusalem Council. Now, I want, to, I want you to note something. When they began their trip up to Jerusalem, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas on their way went to the cities of Phoenicia and Samaria telling what God had done among the Gentiles 
which when the brothers in these cities heard rejoiced. Now, just just quickly, the his, some history regarding Phoenicia. It is a place where Tyre, T-Y-R-E, became a part of the history of Phoenicia. Basically, it's believed has came into being in 4000 B.C., but they're not really known until approximately 3000 B.C. when the Canaanites come actually and bring some of their customs to that region. Phoenicia had become a great place actually around the time of King David and King Solomon because it was David and Solomon that actually built their homes from some of the timber that was well known in Lebanon and Phoenicia uh, that uh, King Hiram, when Solomon was king, helped him to build his temple. So King Solomon had asked if he could have some of the lumber, and so he sent some of his workers, and they built, helped him build the temple and his own palace. Phoenicia was also known as a very idolatrous city. And in fact, it was out of Tyre that Jezebel came and where it is believed that she helped to introduce idol worship, Baal and Ashtoreth, which is a female cohort of Baal, into Israel and into Judah. With her having married Ahab, the problem that we have is that you recall the matter of Elijah on that mountain who had a great confrontation with the uh, false gods and the false prophets of Jezebel. But it was Jezebel that actually married Ahab. Now you also will understand and note and recognize that Solomon had a major problem because he began to marry foreign wives that caused his heart to change and turn from God and to begin to serve idols. And it was out of Tyre. It was out of this area of Phoenicia where some of these practices that he began to involve himself in had come from. It is in these cities that Paul and Barnabas, as they go to Jerusalem, go to these places and proclaim the word of God. Now, the very thing that's interesting to me that I hadn't really paid attention to before even though they had just had a great argument and have been discussing the matter of salvation and how one is saved, they are preaching the very same message Message in these two cities, at least Phoenicia and Samaria, on their way to Jerusalem, that they preached on their first missionary journey. So even though they are having this discussion with those that have come from Jerusalem and they are in sharp contrast, they are preaching the message of Christ and the brothers and those sisters that are there are accepting the message in a very glad about what God is doing. Once they get to Jerusalem, it is in this place that the Pharisees stand up and they began to tell and to say that in order to be saved, one has to accept the law of Moses. And so we find the apostle Peter speaking and talking about the experience that he had when he had been sent to Cornelius, when on the rooftop, God had showed him a great vision and showed Peter's his, his prejudice where he was not accepting people in certain things because of his belief that he was to be set apart, that I'm superior. And God told him, don't call anybody or anything unclean that I have cleaned. And God used a matter of 
food animals and told Peter that you get up, kill and eat. And Peter says, I, I can't do that. Nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the Lord showed Peter this great sheep being let down and told him, whatever I have clean, don't you call unclean. And the Lord showed him this three times. And that helped Peter in his in his mindset to recognize that God was doing a work. And then when he went to the house of his Gentile and they had received the Holy Spirit, Peter says, wow, the Lord is pouring out his spirit even on the Gentile. So it is Peter that relayed the message of what God did in his life to show that God had also accepted the Gentiles. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke about their first missionary journey and what God had done and how the Lord was moving and saving then the founder of the church in Jerusalem, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, he's the one that stands and brings to a close, gives the synopsis of what they should do in accepting the message and the word of God. And so it's James that brings the final word in regards to this council's decision, and they lay out four primary matters that I'm not going to go through here, but lays out what it is that they should tell the church that's being ministered to, the Gentiles and those individuals, what they should abstain from in regards to the message. The primary thing that they said is that we're not going to put a greater burden on the Gentiles than really what's placed on anybody else, but we would tell them they should abstain from these things, but we are welcoming them in, and the message is that it's the Lord Jesus Christ that they are to receive now when the brothers are told this and paul and barnabas leave and go back to antioch the bible says that some of the brothers from jerusalem accompany paul barnabas and the brothers to confirm the message that this is yet this is what the apostles and the elders and the leaders have decided this is the agreement and they take this message and they take it back to the church in Antioch, they go back there. And the reason that they send some of the brothers so that they will be clear that the message has confirmation. One of those individuals that goes back with Paul and the others, his name is Silas. The church is excited to hear what happens. Then you come to Acts chapter 15, 36, when Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back to the churches and the places rather, not just the churches, but let's go back to the areas of where we went before, and let's see how the churches are doing, or the, well, the churches and the people that we've met with. Let's go back and see how they're doing, and let's encourage them. Barnabas said, that's a great idea. Now, let's also take John Mark. Now, John Mark, who had left him, Paul says, I don't think so. No, no, John left us when we were out there. He cannot go. And Barnabas says, no, he would be a good help. The disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was so great that the Bible says there was a split between them. And I would actually call this the church split. So when you look at church splits, you can go to Paul and Barnabas and you can say, wait a minute, church splits aren't anything new. It started with the two key disciples and I say disciples, disciples of the Lord, not apostles. Paul was an apostle, not Barnabas. Two key leaders who were on fire for the Lord, they decided that they are parting company because they could not come to an agreement with John Mark. So the Bible says that Barnabas took his relative, John Mark, and he went one direction. And then 
Paul took Silas, one of the leaders that came from Jerusalem, and he became Paul's companion on his second missionary journey. Now, what's important to note on the second missionary journey, not only would they now talk to the church and the people that were had been spoken to before the different groups, those that were meeting in homes, those that were meeting in various places. Not only would they go back and check to see how they were doing, they would now add the message of the Jerusalem council that happened in chapter 15. Now, the, now this was important because there is now the ability to say what we are saying has also been sanctioned by the leaders in Jerusalem. This would also become a standard for any overseer and any deacon that would be put into place of requirements and what had been approved by the Jerusalem Council. So on the second, third, and even fourth missionary journey, this would be vital for the church. Why? Because right now you have the message and you have a systematic message, a synchronized message, and a message that has been approved by the mother church and the leaders there. So this would be most encouraging to the brothers and those that are hearing the message to say, hey, here is additional information that you need to have. It has been sanctioned and approved even by the church in Jerusalem. So why is this important? So when Paul tells Timothy in the book of First Timothy 3, I want to come to you soon, but I am writing this letter because I'm not going to be able to get to you right away, but I want you to have this. It would be important to note that what Timothy would also be delivering to those that would be seeking the, the, the position of deacons, they would have to have the confirmation also of what came out of the Jerusalem Council, the decision that had been reached by those members. So Paul tells Timothy, you go ahead and you appoint those deacons based on the criteria and what's expected. I'm hoping to come to you, but I'm writing these things so that if I am delayed, you may know how one is to is to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. He would have laid out the Jerusalem church. Now, why is this important? Because the apostle Paul took Timothy on his third missionary, well, second missionary journey and his third missionary journey. So we find that with Timothy, he joins Paul in chapter 16 of Acts and becomes a part of the ministry, beginning with Paul on his second missionary journey into his third missionary journey. Give me three minutes and then I'm going to end and I'll have you unmute your phone. Now, the issue of this matter regarding Timothy is very important because Timothy's father was half was Greek and his mother was Jewish. So therefore, this would be an important issue because those that were Jews and those that had not that would still have a problem with the matter of some not being circumcised, they would know that Timothy's father was Greek. So what does Paul do? You'll find out in readings that he actually had Timothy circumcised. But he didn't have Titus circumcised. Now, why would he have Timothy circumcised? Because Timothy being half Jew, half also Greek, Paul did not want to have any type of interference regarding Timothy, his role in being a minister to be a matter of contention. 
It's not that he had to, but in regards to him being half Jew and half Greek, Paul wanted to not have any disruptions. But with Titus, one of the pastoral letters, he didn't have Titus at all circumcised. Why? Because Titus was a full Greek, a full Gentile. And so Paul did not at all say that Titus needed to be or even required that. But he said for Timothy, let's go and have you circumcised to not have to deal with any of the issues that may come up. So he has Timothy that joins he and Silas and they become a tremendous help in the church. One other thing I want to say as I move on and bring this to a conclusion. As Paul is ministering, he comes to a person, a woman by the name of Lydia. She was a very, believed wealthy woman, and she was a seller of dye, um, purple dye, and our, her business was in purple dye. It was a very expensive dye, and they would dye certain material red, and it was hard to get this material. And oftentimes when you think of red or purple, it was a matter of royalty. It's believed that for her, when she heard the message and came to accept the Lord in Paul's message, she became maybe a financer of Paul's and the other's ministry. But her hospitality and her loving and giving spirit was such a blessing to the church and to Paul's ministry that she is mentioned in Scripture because of the help that she gave and the message that she gave. And in fact, it's believed that even a church was even meeting in her home. And so you'll find Lydia mentioned in the word of God as well. The Bible and the word of God is so precious, so vital that when you look at its its message and, and the things that are laid out, the Bible is no respecter of person, but it gives a message that is for everyone. The Bible was also very aware, aware of the roles of people. It was very aware of uh, the responsibilities of individuals. And even though the Bible mentions these various things that took place, it doesn't mean that it was condoning all. And and as I've often told you before, it just meant that, hey, these are the customs. Oftentimes there were certain roles for individuals. But Lydia played a vital part in the ministry of Paul and the others. We find out that she is very important in this matter as well. And so as Timothy joins the ministry of Paul and Silas, It's important to note that it's to Timothy that Paul leaves in charge of the church in Ephesus that we're going to look at next time as Paul begins his third missionary journey. And it's believed that it is at this point that the church of Ephesus is actually formed or comes into being. So we're going to end at this point.